Okay, John chapter 6. Gospel of John chapter 6. We're in this seven-part series, and this is part five, that we're calling the Book of Signs because there are seven signs, miracles that take place in the, uh, in the Gospel of John, and each of them reveals something to us about Jesus, about the Son of God, the Messiah. Uh, and this story we're reading now immediately follows up the one we looked at last week, which was the story of the feeding of the 5,000. If you remember from that story, they went across the Sea of Galilee. They went across to the other side, to the far shore. Remember we made a, we pointed out some discussion about the far shore. And there he fed 5,000. This story immediately follows up. The very next thing that happens, it's in verse, uh, John chapter 6, and we're going to start with verse 15. Let me just, before, before we read it, let me just kind of set the groundwork. Uh, last night, I came to church. I had, we had worked on this message. I had it all put together. I felt confident. I had had a message from God. And I got, uh, as I was getting dressed to come to church last night, I put on these pants that are brand new. I just got them. I ordered them. Uh, I finally found the company that produces the right kind of pants, the right kind of material, uh, that are, that are, so it's, I get the same size and it'll fit the same way. I don't have to try them on every time. So I ordered them through Amazon because you, you, you can negotiate a cheaper price with Amazon and I, I knew what I was going to get. So last night I put them on for the first time. Don't they look good? No belt loop from here to here. <laughs> now, I don't know if they were made in Mexico or China, but they were sold in America. So I was a little bit disgruntled over that. I got here and uh, I got here a little bit early because there's always some things I have to do before we get, we get everything going. And so I got on my, uh, my uh, computer to print out copies because Maddie's back there. She's the sound tech. She needs to see what I'm doing so she can keep up with me. And when I turned my computer on, the thing was downloading. How many know what I'm talking about? Wait, wait, wait. I'm in a hurry. I got here early and my minutes are waning away. Finally, the thing got through, so I told it to print. Somewhere in the upgrade process, my connection to the printer got downgraded, and it wouldn't print anything. So Maddie's back there winging it, trying to guess what I'm going to say next. And I'm scrambling around to try to get this all together, and I'm getting madder by the minute. How many know what I'm talking about? I want to be in control. I don't like this when things aren't working like they're supposed to work. I got out here, and my, my three-year-old grandson had a meltdown. And on Saturday nights, I'm kind of in charge of him, had to take him out. And I was just, like, freaking out with all this pressure. I need to be in here getting my heart ready. And then I realized, Jesus is my peace. I'm looking for peace in all this stuff. And I'm frustrated because I can't find peace in this worldly situation I'm in. So I thought, I'm just going to come in here. I'm going to worship God. I'm going to focus on Him. And that's what I did. Yeah. And then I understood why God had me preaching on peace. 
because I needed it. And it would be just like God to put this message on my heart to share with you at such a time as this, because I think there's some of us going through some real need of peace. Let's look at the first thing I want to see from our story, John chapter 6, verse 15. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. He knew what they were going to do. This is the, the cool thing I, I love about Jesus. He knows what's on, going on in my life. He knows what's going on in my head. He knows my thoughts, my fears, my confusions, my disappointments. He knows my past. He knows everything about me. And he knew what they were going to do. He knew that they were going to take him by force. Now, what does that mean? It doesn't mean they were going to force Jesus to do something he didn't want to do. It meant they were going to start a revolution. They were going to forcefully make Jesus king because they had seen him do great things for them. And everybody wants God to do great things for us. And so they wanted him to be king because the king would do great things for them. So Jesus hightailed it up into a remote mountain. I thought that's, that was an interesting part of the story. Remember, this happens on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. So what was it that Jesus knew about them? What was it he knew that they were going to do? And why did he know that? In John chapter 2, verse 25, it says, No one had to tell him what people were like. He already knew. He knows what we're like. He knows what we're after. He knows our weaknesses. He knows our flaws. I like the way the message uh, Bible says this, and it clumps it all together in one paragraph. During the time he was in Jerusalem, those days of the Passover feast, many people noticed the signs he was displaying, and seeing they pointed straight to God and trusted their lives to him. But Jesus didn't entrust his life to them. He knew them inside and out, knew how untrustworthy they were. He didn't need any help in seeing right through them. He doesn't need any help in seeing right through me. One thing they say about this, this uh, millennial generation is they can see right through any kind of fakeness. Anything that's phony, anything that's faith, they can see right through it. And that's why they don't want to be a part of anything that's just a show. I learned that the word show, although it's a biblical term, is not an acceptable term with the young generation because they see it as phony. I think show means to demonstrate. I think that's a positive thing. But I've learned I have to change some of my communication to reach a younger generation because these words mean something different. They were going to make him by force. They were going to create a revolution. I wonder how many people would have died in that revolution. And Jesus wanted nothing to do with that. You see, there's something about Jesus he is terrified of. There is one thing he will run away from. He will hide. He will do whatever it takes. He will hightail it. He will get out of there as quick as he can. And that is pride. If people try to make him king, 
before he has earned that right to be king, then, then that was unacceptable. People, he knows what's in us. People want a king without a cross. They want a king that will do things for them other than spiritual. What's in it for me? That's the way the world looks at it, and Jesus knew that. So he withdrew again. Wasn't the first time. He withdrew again into a mountain. Sometimes he just wants to get away from people because people drain him dry. Don't we? I mean, I come this morning because I want something from the Lord. I need something from the Lord. So that's the first part. It's, if you're taking notes, that's the great insight. And uh, the young people that are in there, if you make an attempt to fill these blanks out and you come show me your effort right after the service, I will give you one of my famous hugs. Okay, you get a hug from Pastor Deal. But you have to make an attempt to fill that, that outline out. So the first word is insight. The grand insight. Jesus had insight to be able to look right into the heart of a situation. He knew what was going on on the inside. Now, we pick up our story from there in verses 16, 17, and 18. When evening came, his disciples went down to the lake. That's the uh, Sea of Galilee. Where they got into a boat and set off across the lake for Capernaum. By now, it was dark, and Jesus had not joined them. A strong wind was blowing and the waves grew rough. The second part I want us to see here is the grave darkness. There was a grave darkness that they were going through. It was now dark. Have you noticed that this world is a dark place? Did you know that? And you may think, well, that's, other, that, that's Africa, or that's, that's Asia, or someplace that's dark. We've got enlightenment here in the United States. Did you know there are more people incarcerated behind bars per capita in the United States than any other country in the world? Our enlightenment doesn't mean we get wise. This world is a dark place. You probably know some dark people in some dark places in their life. As a matter of fact, if your testimony is anything like mine, you know what it is to live in a dark world, to be a part of the dark world, to do nothing but add to the darkness. I did that for some years in rebellion. It's a dark world. It's not a bright place. We need some help from out of this world because this world's dark. And to make it even darker, Jesus had not joined them. They're out in this boat. And Jesus is back behind. They're not sure where he is. It's kind of like us. We're in this boat. We're going out on our journey. Where's Jesus? I want Jesus in my boat. Where is he? Who knows? He's probably back there praying. He's interceding. He's at the right hand of the Father. But I need him down here. I need him intervening for me. That's kind of where the disciples were at this point in the darkness. So here's a word picture for us. They're crossing the lake. They're going from the far shore, and they're going back across. Am I doing that backwards for you? Yeah, they're going back across to Capernaum. 
What's, what about per, Capernaum? Capernaum was Peter's hometown. Jesus stayed in Peter's house when he was in Galilee. That was his headquarters. So they're going from the far shore and they're going home. It's a picture of our journey here on this earth. We're going from the far shore and we're going home. I don't mean my residence. I mean home, home. When this journey is over, I'm going home. My home isn't down here in this dark place. My home is in Father's house. There's a mansion prepared for me at home. I'm going to serve him my best while I'm down here, but this isn't home. That's home. So they're going across this journey. So uh, picture this in your mind as, a, as what the Spirit of God is saying to us about our journey home as we go across this, this lake headed for Capernaum. It says a strong wind was blowing while they were going home. A strong wind. Now, a strong wind can be to your advantage if it's blowing the direction you want to go. Just hoist your sail, and away you go. It's easy going when the wind's blowing your way. But when the wind's blowing contrary, don't put your sail up. Drop your sail. That's when you got to get out the oars, and you got to row and row and row. How many have ever rowed a boat before? A little bit of work, isn't it? Water is liquid, but you can push your way through it. And it's a little bit of work to push your way through it. We'll talk about that in our next point. But I want us to think a little bit about the winds that blow. Sometimes I've had winds blowing behind me. That's really cool when you see the hand of God opening doors and making things possible for you. But there have been as also times where the wind was blowing contrary, blowing the other way. It was like everything I did for the Lord was going uphill. It was like a battle. It's like real work. But Jesus told them to go to the other shore. In Matthew's account, he told them what to do. So they're just obeying. Sometimes you can obey, do exactly what he tells you in just the right timing and find yourself in a big storm. The disciples were in the middle of the storm, the wind blowing the wrong way. Now, Jesus said earlier in the Gospel of John that the wind is kind of like the Spirit. You don't know where it's coming from, and you don't know where it's going. But you can feel the effects of that breeze. You can feel it blowing. You can tell where it's coming from, but you don't know where it's going to be in just two or three minutes. The winds shift. They change. And some of us are going through some windy periods in our life right now. I mean, the wind's not blowing in your favor. It's a contrary wind blowing the other way. It's hard work. And this story is telling us how to deal with those storms in our life. Now, most of us really don't care which way the wind's blowing. But then it says the waters grew rough. Now I start caring about which way the wind's blowing because I'm out there in this journey and the wind starts blowing the wrong way. When the waves get rough, when the waves start beating me this way and that way, I don't like that very much. It starts getting personal. I don't like these personal storms going on in my life. You don't like them either. 
but they happen. Which leads us to ask the question, why does the Lord wait so late? Why does he wait till the last minute? Why does he wait till it's the end of the day? It's pitch black out there before he steps in. It just seems to me that if God loves me, he would just smooth the way out before me all along the way. But it doesn't work that way for me. Am I the only one it doesn't work that way for? So he seems to wait to the last minute. It's like he's testing us to see if we'll really trust him. Clear through to the end. That's the grave darkness. Here's the third part of our story I want us to see. It's in verses 19 and 20. Let's see what happens in that storm. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water. And they were frightened. But he said to them, It is I. Don't be afraid. This is the great calm. The great calm. They were rowing. Rowing requires work. And when you're rowing, you can't see where you're going. You're going backwards. You're rowing. You're rowing. Trying to get that boat to move through that water. It's work. It's toil. It's difficult. It's slow progress. Especially if the wind's blowing you the other way. And the waves are beating on the side of the, sh- of the boat. It's blind obedience. They're just doing what the Lord told them to do. Lord, can't we just wait till morning when the wind dies down? No, he told them to do it. They're doing it. Sometimes you and I just have to blindly obey and do what he tells us to do. Even though it doesn't seem like we're making any progress, we need to do what he tells us to do. Now, so it says they rode about three or four miles. Now, the Sea of Galilee is 13 miles north and south, 8 miles east and west. 8. And they've now rowed 3 or 4 miles. Coming from the far shore. So they're going from east to west. And if you uh, get online and you do a Google search for Sea of Galilee images, you'll find on there a topographical map of the Sea of Galilee where they show you the depth lines in it. And three or four miles from the east shore is right in the deepest part of the Galilee. So they're in deep water. Anybody ever been in deep water before in your life? Sometimes it can be financially. Sometimes it can be in a troubled, rough relationship. Sometimes it can be a health issue. It can be all kinds of deep water. Deep water simply means you're in trouble. And the waves are getting rough. And it's not a pleasant journey. So they got out that far and they looked out there and they saw Jesus walking on the water. And they were frightened. They were frightened when they saw Jesus. That's interesting. Why are they frightened? Did they forget so soon that Jesus had just fed 5,000 people on the other side On the far shore, he fed 5,000 people with five small barley loaves and two small fish. Did they forget already? Yeah, they had. Did they forget about the time Jesus turned the water into wine? 
Did they forget about the time he told this man to pick up his mat and walk? Did they forget about these sovereign miracles? And here comes Jesus and they're scared. They're afraid. How soon we forget. And they saw Jesus approaching. I believe God's given us a prophetic word. In the midst of our darkness, Jesus is approaching. He's drawn near. Right in the middle of your storm, he sees you out there. He's coming to visit you. Jesus loves you. He wants to do something in your life. The disciples were moving away from the mountain. And we said last week, mountains are where Jesus would go to meet with God. That's where God would speak to his people up on mountains. They're going away from the mountain. They're down in the low part of the sea. And they're heading away from the mountain. But Jesus is just departing the mountain, that place of prayer. And he's coming after them. He's approaching them. We need to understand that Jesus is approaching. He's drawn near. He's coming close. And he knows where we're at. He knows our storm. He knows our situation. And he understands our fear. For the first thing he said is, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. If we really believe what we say we believe, why would we be afraid of anything down here on this earth? Why are we so afraid I'm going to lose our, we're going to lose our job, or we're not going to have enough money to make it? Why are we so afraid if Jesus is who he says he is? We need to rest in him. So here they are. Picture this. Use your imagination. They're out here in the Sea of Galilee. The wind's blowing the wrong way, and the waves are rough. And they're trying to, to move this boat big enough to carry 13 people because Jesus is about to get in. Big boat, and they're in this boat rowing. I don't think they had two oars. They probably had several sets of oars here to move that boat across. And they're working, working hard at it, and a lot of hard toil to get that boat to move because of the waves. And they look out there, and here comes Jesus walking on the water. How does he walk on water that way when the water's doing this? I've been in amusement marks where I, parks where I tried to walk on those treads that are doing this kind of thing. That's hard to do. I want to keep my balance. How does he keep his balance walking on rough water? The only thing I can figure out in my imagination is each step he took, the water calmed around him. Next step, calmed again. Next step, calmed again. Rough everywhere else, but calm right there. Amazing. And I know there's always somebody that says, oh, come on now. We know better than that. A human body is too heavy. Can't, it doesn't walk on water. It's going to sink in the water. Remember this, we're talking about the Son of God and God trying to demonstrate to us His supernatural abilities. This is a one-time thing. It was a one-time event, just like the, the big fish swallowing, uh, not Noah, who was it? Jonah in the Old Testament. <laughs> I'll hear about that again later. It was a one-time event. That's why you can't find any more of those big fish out there. 
It was a one-time thing. God prepared a great fish, the Bible says. So Jesus is walking on the water, one-time event. And it scared the daylights out of those disciples because they had never seen anything like this before. You know, we go to school to learn the patterns, how things work. We go to biology. Uh, we learn how plant life works, geography, geology. We study these things in school because there are certain patterns God puts in place. But God comes along and he breaks the pattern. Human being can't walk on water. But here comes Jesus walking on the water. And scared the disciples because they had never seen anything like this. And of course, the lesson for us is if you, if you let Jesus, Jesus get aboard in your life, you're going to see all kinds of things you've never seen before. Amen. All right, let's go to point number four. Verse 21, this is how the story ends. I'm looking at four parts here. Uh, 21. Then they were willing, I, I love that word, I'm glad they put that word in there. Then they were willing to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. A couple interesting thoughts there in verse 21. First, of course, is they were willing. You've got to be willing to let Jesus get aboard in your life. Becoming a Christian isn't to say a sinner, sinner's prayer and then have the confidence we're going to go to heaven when we die. It's letting Jesus get aboard our life and let him be the Lord of our life and lead us and guide us, take us where we need to go. Because we don't know, but he knows what's in us. They were willing. You have to be willing to invite Jesus to take control of your life. Are you willing? That might mean he's going to send you into a storm. Are you still willing? That's the question. Count the cost, Jesus said. And then the other thing I want us to see is that, that concept. It was a miracle that he walked on the water. But it sounds like another miracle when he got aboard the boat and they were immediately, immediately at the other shore. Now the word immediately is a word that Mark in particular likes to use in his gospel, gospel of Mark. He uses that word immediately again and again and again because he wants to teach us about how Jesus Christ brings change in our lives. So he uses that word again and again. Matthew also does it a lot, but this is the only time in the gospel of John that the word immediately is used, only this time. And I believe that's because John is talking to us about a, 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 about a life process of being Christians, that he, Jesus wants to come in and bring a process of change in our life. And immediately isn't a process. It's an it's a instantary thing. So this is the only time this is recorded in John's gospel immediately. It was like they were catapulted into their destiny. It was like the wind had been blowing against them, and as soon as Jesus got aboard the boat, the winds shifted. The winds began being favorable. They began pushing the boat the other way. So it's like, it was like their destiny was, was suddenly impacted by Jesus getting in the boat. 
I think that's saying to us that on this life's journey from the far shore home as we go across, I'm doing it backwards again, as we go across the, the Sea of Galilee, as we go through life's journey to get home, we need to somewhere along the line invite Jesus to get aboard our boat, to get aboard our life, to come into us, to become Lord of our life, to begin directing us the way he wants us to go. Did you know that? This is what the Bible's telling us. You have to let Jesus, you have to be willing to let him aboard. And when you do, the winds shift. Uh, when they were all alone in the boat, they really weren't alone. There were 12 of them together, but they didn't have Jesus there. So we could say without Jesus, they weren't making much progress. As soon as Jesus got in, as soon as he came into the situation, they began to make progress. Everything shifted. The preacher in the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 1 verse 6 says this about the wind. The wind blows to the south and turns to the north. Round and round it goes, ever returning on its course. Have you ever felt that about your life? I got this wind, it blows around and around and around, I want to make some progress, and sometimes it's, sometimes it's going my way, sometimes it's going the other way, that's just the way the wind is. And who controls the wind? God controls the wind. I need to get Jesus aboard my life. Their hard work, their labor, their efforts, rowing that boat, got them halfway home. But the only thing that got them all the way is when Jesus got aboard the boat. Amen. That's what got them all the way to the other side. Your, your good works will, will, will go a long way toward uh, you finding favor with God. But the only thing that's going to get you home is when you let Jesus into your life. He's the only way to the Father. All the other paths are all paths to become a better person. They don't connect you with heaven. I want to be connected with heaven. I want the Spirit of God working through me, giving life to me in my life. So I'll, I'll close with, with this story. In Matthew chapter 26, there's a, a story of Jesus having some storms in his own life. Jesus is... Uh, He's heading for Jerusalem. It's his third year of ministry. He knows what's ahead for him. So he turns aside just before he gets to Jerusalem. He turns aside and goes to this garden called Gethsemane. And there in the garden, he tells his disciples to wait where they are. And then he takes three of them, Peter, James, and John, and takes them apart. Jesus apparently had favorites because Peter, James, and John of the 12 he allowed them to do certain things with him. He took those three, and he said, okay, guys, I want you to pray with me because this is an important hour of prayer. And then he separated himself a little bit of ways, and he sought God, and he said, Father, if there's any other way, take this cup from me. It was an intense prayer. I mean, this is an intense time. A little bit later, he went to check on Peter, James, and John and found them asleep. He said, hey guys, wake up, wake up. I need you to pray with me. This is an important prayer. Pray with me because the hour of decision is just about here. Then Jesus went back over and he went back into his intense prayer again the second time. If there's any other way, take this cup from me. 
This was an intense time for him. Came back a second time to check on Peter, James, and John, and they were asleep again. So he woke them up again, and he said, Come on, guys, can't you pray with me one hour? And then he went back a third time to pray the same thing. God, I know what's set before me. I know what's going to happen. Lord, I don't want to go through that. If there's any other way for your will to be done, let it be done. And then he got up from his prayer. And he went over to Peter, James, and John, back to sleep again. And he said, rise, let us go. He had got his answer. Sometimes we get an answer from God that we don't like to hear, but we're resolved. This is God's will. This is God's destiny for me. This is what he's placed me here for. And I don't know if you've ever had to wrestle with something like that with God. I have several times where I had to wrestle with something. This is going to be costly. If I say yes, God, if I go through with this, this is going to cost me dearly. Is this really? Is there any other way? And there's, there's something that comes to us when we finally get the answer. And we know this is God's will. There's this peace that settles down. A resolve within us. This is what God wants. This is what I will do. It's okay. That's the peace of God. The Bible says elsewhere, this is a peace that passes all understanding. You can't write about it in a book and somebody else read it and catch that peace. It's peace that only comes when we find our peace with God. I don't know about you, but I need that kind of peace. I'm desperate for that kind of peace. I need that in my life. Pastor Adam, would you come up on the keyboard? Let's stand together. Jesus found that peace in prayer. The disciples found that peace in the boat on, the, on their journey. You and I can find that kind of peace. You want that kind of peace? We're going to sing this little chorus. And if you want that kind of peace, you recognize in your life there's a crisis going on. There's a trial going on in your life. You know that. Nobody else needs to know what your storm is. But there's something going on and you need God's peace in your life. I want to pray for peace in the middle of a storm. So if the Holy Spirit is prompting you, come to this altar. We're going to pray for peace in the middle of the storm.
I'm praying right now for these people that have come to this altar, Lord. They're seeking you. Father, they're going through the troubled, troubled waters, going through a storm in their life. Father, they need some peace. And Father, that peace only comes from you. Father, we don't see from this story that you promised to take us out of the storm, only that you promised to take us through the storm. That you're going to give us peace right in the middle of our of the waves, right in the middle of the battle, right in the middle of our of our hopelessness. You're going to be right there. Father, I pray that a peace comes over us, Lord, for each of these people that have responded. Let there be a peace that passes all understanding. Just take away the fear. Let it take away the guilt, the shame. Let it take away the difficulty, the impossible situation. Father, the giant that seems to be overwhelming them. Father, I just pray that your peace is going to be there. Father, that peace that only you can give. That peace that helps us to have this settled resolve down in our heart that it's okay. I'm not going through this alone. I'm going through it with God. We're going through it together, hand in hand. We're making it through to the other side. So, Lord, I want to thank you for giving us peace. Lord, I want to speak to the winds that are blowing in, into our lives and causing this turbulence. I want to speak to the winds that you have got to turn the other way, Lord. Those winds have got to blow the other way. But your favor is going to be upon your people as we journey for you. So, Father, let that renewal, that sense of renewal, that sense of confidence, that sense of belonging that we're in the family together, going through this journey together. Renew us so that we can be the people you've called us to be. We pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. That's our prayer corporately, amen. We're believing Satan heard it, God heard it. The spirit inside of us is rising up. And like Jesus at Gethsemane, we can say together, rise up, let's go. It's time to move on for the journey on our way home. Amen? Amen. Go with God. He loves you more than you'll ever know. Young people, show me your outline. Come show me.